You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Hey guys, and welcome to the latest Testudo Times Outtakes Podcast. I'm your host, Lila Bromberg, here with Matt Levine, my co-host. And today we're joined by 2001 ACC Offensive Player of the Year, Bruce Perry. What's going on, man? How are you doing? How's it going? How's it going, Layla? It's always a pleasure to talk Maryland. I, I, we can do this all day and all night. So you grew up in, in Philly and you were a Philly guy, but you come to Maryland. You know, what made you come to the University of Maryland? And what was the recruiting process like with Mike Loxley then? Okay, so... Um... I went to George Washington High School in Philadelphia Public School. Um, myself, um, Jafar Williams, who, you know, obviously was our running back coach two years ago, and um, Scott Smith, who played defensive end for us as well. Um, recruiting, recruiting process for me as a, as a, you know, as a, as a senior, you know, I was recruited by everybody, you know, um, Nebraska, Penn State, Florida, Texas, um, all of the, you know, Big East schools at the time. Um, I know Pitt was heavy on me, NC State, Wisconsin. And I'll give you a story about Wisconsin later on. But um, I, uh, I was recruited by Coach Hefner. Um, and Coach Hefner was our offensive coordinator at the time. He recruited us heavy. I mean, we talked to him every week. <laughs> I probably talked to him daily uh, when we could. And um, the process for me, we had a, a gentleman who was a alum of George Washington who also went to Maryland and was really, really heavy on Maryland for us to um, to give them a, a, a look. And I'll tell you, you know, my my father's idea of a, a major university was to walk on campus and walk through the gates and you're there. Like, there's no reason to leave. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, some of the schools that recruited me, like Pitts, um, Temple, these were, you know, city schools to where you could walk across the street and you're nowhere near on campus. You know what I mean? And so, you know, when I got to Maryland, uh, my host was Aaron Thompson at the time. And I was just in awe, number one, at the size of these players. Like, I couldn't believe, you know, he's a linebacker and I actually had to block him 24-7. But it felt so much like home. The guys, they just felt like they just made you feel like one of the guys. And um, the rest was history. You know, I think I want to say uh, about three weeks later, I committed. I called Jafar um, one evening. I said, dude, you know, I'm thinking about committing to Maryland. And he said, I'm thinking about doing the same thing. We did it the same night, called Coach Vandy. And even then, you had schools like Michigan and Wisconsin begging me to decommit begging me just to take a visit to, to their campus. And I'm a man of my word. When I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. So I literally told them, nope, not going to happen, not taking a visit. This was the choice. And this was not knowing who was on the roster. This was not knowing what kind of season they had before. I didn't do any research, you know, not like they do these days, you know, where information is just at your fingertips and things of that nature. Um, so... You know, the rest was history. I played um, in the Big 33, which was uh, Pennsylvania versus Ohio. Um, that all-star game that summer um, was the offensive MVP of that of that game. And the rest was history. Went to Maryland and went to work. And 
you know, I was going to ask you about this. The football account posted a video on Twitter uh, the other day of Lamont talking about how many times he had to run the stairs in the stadium. I've talked to Sean a lot about some of the stories he has of, you know, how many times he was punished and had to run the stairs. Uh, How many times did you have to run the stairs, and what is your best story? So I had I I had to run the stairs. Uh, those stadium steps were brutal. Um, I didn't have to run them as much while Lamont was there. Um, but you know, good story. I had you know two stories actually. Gundy, uh, one time you know was charged with running the guys who weren't you know either weren't going to class or late or what have you. And Guns was like, look, I'm not gonna watch you do this. I'm not sitting out here watching you do it. So I suggest you go, just go ahead and get it done. And when I tell you, when I got up the fourth column of stairs, I'm like, I, I'm going to class from now on. Like, this is, I can't do this, you know. But uh, I'll give you another story. Um, because Lamont, people didn't really know when Lamont was actually working. Um, Lamont would call me at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Hey, let's go. Let's go run the stadium steps. And I'm not going to tell him no, you know. So I'm like, all right, cool. But, dude, like, can we do something else? <laughs> Those stadium steps were brutal. Brutal. So, but it got it got you in tip-top shape. So um, kudos. Kudos to the stadium steps. And speaking of Lamont Jordan, you talked about this before we came on the podcast, how you beat out several guys to become his backup just as a freshman. How much did that have an impact on you as a player and just both learning and growing as a player being behind Lamont Jordan? You know what? You have to see, this is why it was so important for Maryland's next hire to be someone who understood the culture of Maryland football. Now, coming in as a freshman, and I had, you know, nothing but upperclassmen above me. I was the only freshman running back in that meeting room. So everybody else were upperclassmen. And you would think, you know, the the general consensus or the the vibe in that room was, all right, you let the freshman just learn on his own. That never happened. When I tell you I had guys that you wouldn't even know of at this point in time, like Harold Wesley and Mukala Sikiala and Gavin DeFridis, all these guys were upperclassmen were pouring into me because they saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And then to also be, you know, close friends with Lamont and for Lamont to give me all the jewels that he could give me to make me a better person and a better player from day one. um, You can't put a price tag on that. And so understanding what was given to me, I then knew once those guys were gone, how to operate as an upperclassman in my own regard and how to give back to the younger guys behind me. Because at the end of the day, you're a play away from one of those guys being up. You know what I'm saying? So I made certain to pour into the Chris Downs and the Josh Allens and the Lance Balls. And when I was gone, I would call Keon, Keon Lattimore all the time. He'll tell you, you know, I would come into just the complex and sit down and just watch film. And half the time they had already watched the film or like asking me questions. How did you do X, Y, and Z? Like, what were you seeing? And so the, the culture that was, that was created well before I got there by guys like Lamont, Buddy Rogers, 
um, we just continue to pass it on, pass the torch on. And that's why that running back group is so important to the University of Maryland's success. I always say wins go through the running back room and the quarterback on offense, hands down. Like Maryland is known for being running back university. And so I just learned from the best on how to pass the torch. Right, and you know, once Lamont graduates, you become the Terps' lead back, and you know, have a monster season with you know over twelve hundred rushing yards and ten rushing touchdowns, and then you know, forty receptions for almost four hundred yards and two touchdowns. Like, what was your mindset just going into that year and just knowing that you know you were going to be the top guy and making the most well, of that, that opportunity? That's the thing. That's the thing. I didn't know I was going to be the top guy, you know, because Ralph was coming in, and quiet is kept. Ralph didn't like me. He didn't like me at all. I remember having conversations with Lots, and Lots would tell me, um, "He does. He doesn't. He doesn't like you. He thinks you're too small. Thinks you're a scat back. Thinks you're not gonna, you know, press the heels and, and, and get north and south in between the tackles." And you know, I had been doubted all my life. You know, from being a track guy. I mean, I ran ten three as a sixteen year old in in the hundred. And so I love, I always had a chip on my shoulder. So if he didn't, if he didn't like me or it's something he didn't see, well, I'm going to prove him wrong. So we, I didn't necessarily know if I was going to be the guy. I was battling a hamstring injury in our first camp together. And after a while, I just said to heck with it. You know, I'm just going to give everything I got and we're going to see where it falls. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to earn the starting position. And i never forget um, that North Carolina game, um, our first game with Ralph being head coach, I think I had about 116 yards that game against guys like Julius Peppers and Ryan Sims. Um, and Ralph came up to me after the game. was like, I didn't even recognize you. I didn't know who you were. Like, you ran like you were a crazed animal. And that just fueled me for the season. I knew exactly what he expected out of me as, as being the back. And I was just going to go out there and prove it. And the numbers just racked up. Um, number two, I wanted to do justice um, for the guy who passed the torch to me. You know, Lamont and, and Locks taught me everything that, that I knew about being a successful running back. And so I wanted to make Lamont and, and Locks proud. I didn't want Locks to um, be second-guessed on his decision. Um and, and his his belief in me. I wanted to make sure I went out there and proved him right every snap of every practice of every game. Um, so that was just pretty much my mindset. And honestly, you know, I told my, my linemen early in the season, like, I'm going to work for you guys. Like, you know, you're, you're going to have pride every time I tote that rock for you guys. And I, I think, I think that, I think that mission was accomplished. How important was that just, you know, being able to have that trust with Locks and, you know, him, you know, being enough of a man and a coach to say, hey, look, this is, you know, what's going on right now to kind of, you know, give you the layout of that situation. Like, how much did that, you know, push you to, you know, work harder to get that, that role? The, to one thing that I, the one thing that I knew I would get from Locks is, is brute or brutal honesty. Brutal honesty. And, and as a player and as a person, I can respect it because it's not, it's not malice intended. It's not personal. It's like, this is what you need to do to be successful and, and, to, and to get to where you need to be. And 
you know, coming from him, he's an excellent motivator. So, you know, I wanted to make him proud. At the end of the day, you know, they decided to keep lots on from the from the previous staff. And I wanted to make sure that my running back coach had, had job security. Like, he had nothing to worry about. You know, I wanted to be the next guy up, the next guy to produce, the next guy to, to have some fantastic numbers and to go down in Maryland history as one of the best. Um, number two, um, I always did homework on people that came before me. So the Wysockis and the Buddy Rogers and the Atkins, you know, I always wanted to know who came before me so I know whose record I was going to take. Um, and then pay homage to those guys, you know, once I was able to accomplish that goal. So that was important to me as well. And then understanding, you know, the culture from, you know, the, the early to mid-80s and how much success Maryland had, you know, I wanted to be a part of that, that, that rebuilding process. I could have easily chosen a Texas or a Florida where they've already had tradition of winning and they've already, you know, had things established. But I wanted to come in and be a part of rebuilding something. And that legacy will be remembered and it's still remembered today. So talking about that 2001 season, you were named the ACC Offense Player of the Year and you were the first non-senior to win it, the first Maryland player to win it. How did you find out you were named that award and what were your initial reactions? How much does that mean to you? Uh, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I didn't even know I was in the running for it. You know, as far as awards go, like I didn't even know that was an award that you get. You know what I mean? Like I was just out there trying to play ball, man, and and play ball for my teammates. That's, that's, That's really was my mindset. I found out we were in the, the the weight room and Ralph came downstairs and he wanted to meet with everybody, he met with the whole team and he just started ripping off the awards who, who made it all ACC, first team, second team. And then, you know, he, he said who made defensive player of the year. And of course that was EJ Henderson. And then when he said who made offensive player of the year and he said my name, I was like, wait a minute, you mean to tell me both of us won? Like, that's, like, unheard of. And then for EJ to win the actual player of the year, I mean, he had, he had a monster year and was, and was a monster player. For us to pretty much sweep the awards and put the entire Atlantic Coach Conference and the rest of the country on notice, like, Maryland has players. It's, it's real football being played at Maryland. So, you know, part of my mission to, to be a part of that rebuilding process and be – you know, an integral cog in that process, part of that mission was accomplished. And you and I were texting a while back and I sent you uh, that towel that one of our readers sent us that, you know, said the Bruce is loose and the fridge is stocked. Do you know, you know, how that Bruce is loose uh, saying started? Do you remember that at all? It's funny because um, whenever I would run the ball or have a positive play, we had a, we had probably one of the worst jumbotrons in 2001 ever. Like, <laughs> it was bad. But they would always put my, my name in, like, 5,000 U's in the middle, C-E, which said Bruce, right? And so the, the stadium would just erupt in Bruce. So you would think I was getting booed because, <laughs> you know, out loud it sounds like booze. But it wasn't. It was bruised. That's pretty much how that that started. I mean, we always call Freed in the fridge. You know that 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 started as soon as he got there. Um, 
but to have an actual a actual chant while you're playing, it's like, is this really happening? I remember uh, one after we played Florida State, and you know we got home. We going to say we got home about three o'clock in the morning. And I stayed on the backside of Talbot Hall, so I had the bottom the bottom um we had the bottom suite myself, Rich Parsons, Garrick McPherson, and Jason Crawford. Um, we had the bottom suite, so we get home, and my whole name is written down the steps. Bruce. I'm like, man, that's so cool. Like. So college football is all about, man, the pageantry, um, the little knickknacks to, to make um, each university and each player um, special in their own right and regard. Um, and that was, a, that was a beautiful part of my Maryland experience, just hearing that chant, you know, made you want to work harder, made you want to go out there and, and, and put your body on the line every day, um, every game, every play. And um, like I said, the rest was history. And you mentioned before just the talent on that team in 2001, you and EJ sweeping the awards. There were seven of you that won all ACC first team uh, honors. You know, just explaining it to somebody who might not know, what was that talent really like on that team? Let me tell you something. The thing about us as a team that year, we had talented players. And I think you might have heard this before, Leela. You might have heard us speak about this in an earlier podcast. We had talented players. We just didn't know how to work, and we did not know how to win. That was it. And so you can't tell me that there is a significant amount of difference and change in the talent from 2000 to 2001. It's the same players. We just weren't, and and no disrespect to Ron Vanderlinden and that coaching staff because they amassed a great amount of talent on that team. They obviously saw something in us. Um, just for us to make it to the next level, we needed somebody else to motivate us and to teach us how to do it. And that's what happened. Like, I mean, think about it. You've got guys like Medea Williams who were walk-ons. He was a walk-on. Didn't even have a scholarship and ended up being a second-round pick for the, for the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. So, you know, we learned how to work we learned how to win as a team. We learned how not to lose games. And we did it all together. We did it all as a unit, as a group. Um, and we were willing to fight. We were willing to fight together. We were willing to win together. And if we needed to go out on that sword, we'd all be willing to die on that field for a W. So one thing I've been wanting to ask you about, Mike Loxley seems to be very proud of it. He introduced you to your wife. He likes to take responsibility for that marriage. Ever since that Zoom, I've been wanting to know that story of kind of what went down with that. So, my wife, <laughs> my wife was at the time a best girl. That's what they called the girls who escorted around recruits and helped around around the office. They were called best girls. I don't know what the acronym stands for. You have to ask him. But um, she worked in his office with him. And one day, you know, I'm coming up there before practice and I see her in the office. And I looked at him like, hey, dude, you gotta hook that up, man. You gotta make that happen. Like, I'm not playing, like, you gotta make it happen. And so one day I came into the office, she was in the office and he put me on the spot so bad. Hey, you know who Bruce Perry is? And she's like, oh yeah, you know, I know who he is. You guys should ex exchange uh, AOL uh, tags or whatever the heck that was back then. And I'm sitting there like, 
dude, really? Did you really just do that? I don't know her from a can of paint. So my face literally just like turned red and and just, just being an awkward moment. And she kind of like blew it off a little bit. So I left the room and later on that night after practice, I get a phone call. It's my wife, Latasha. She says, you know, I apologize for him, you know, putting you on the spot like that. But I have a question for you. I'm like, okay, I'm willing, I'm willing to answer any question you got at this point. And so she says, you know, I have a class that I need to watch this film on, but nobody has a DVD player. And I was one of the only people on campus that had a DVD player at the time. And so I said, sure, come by. And mind you, I'm getting my room prepared. I'm like, bet, it's about to go down, right? And so she comes in, she sits on the couch far away from me, and she ends up going to sleep watching this video. It was boring. But I stayed up. I watched it, and I gave her everything that she needed for the class. And so, you know, as time went on, we got to talking, and... You know, the rest was history. So my wife and I started dating after 2001. And by 2006, she was my wife. So, of course, yeah, he takes credit for it, being the matchmaker. I'll give it to him. It's all right. I think that's funny because he, I remember he was saying, like, on that Zoom call, he was like, the rule was, like, you come and I don't want to hear about your high school girlfriends. And then oh, he yeah. ends up setting so, so you up with your wife. The one rule, we, we got a rule in the running back room. Is four four words. You don't own them. You don't own them. You don't own it. And so that's always been the mantra. But when it got to her, I own that homeboy. <laughs> that's a whole me. <laughs> so yeah, my wife and I have been married 14 years. And all because of Mike Loxley. So he's not just a good uh, football coach, wasn't just a good running back coach, but Obviously, we see he's a good judge in talent. <laughs> Just kind of shifting gears now quickly to your NFL days, and you get drafted in the seventh round of the 2004 NFL draft by your hometown Philadelphia Eagles. Well, how special was that, getting drafted by the hometown? Oh, man. man, let me tell you. You know, I had um, I visited a lot of teams. I worked out for a lot of teams. I knew Philly was interested, but I didn't. I, not in a million years that I think was going to happen. So I'll give you, you know, my draft story. Um, initially, I thought I was going to go anywhere from three to five, right? And so when you slip all the way to seven, you know, I was like, I was bummed out. Like, I left the house, went and got a six-pack, came back, sitting on the desk, sitting on, on my step. I'm like, nope, don't nobody call me or nothing. Uh, all family members were calling me, and I'm like, don't call this number, hanging up right and i had um i had talked with the player personnel player personnel guy mr ross um and i had worked out pretty well for for the eagles when i went up there and so i'm sitting in my mom's bedroom sit sitting in my mom's bedroom and i get a phone call it's the eagles pro, pro personnel guy so he calls he said you know what's up bruce i'm like hey he like they didn't go your way huh I'm like, not necessarily. He's like, well, cheer up. We're about to take you right now. And so my family is just looking at me like, what is happening? What is happening? And I pointed to the TV. He said, do, 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 do. And then my name came up. And so, of course, everybody's just going off, number one, because I've been chosen, I've been selected. And number two, you're right, it's my hometown team. 
Um, believe it or not, you know, my father made sure my house was a cowboy house. And now we're now we weren't, you know. And so, you know, it was just so sweet, so surreal. Um, plenty of phone calls that day. And for me to, to be in my first offensive install, and I look to my right and I'm I'm looking at Donovan McNabb. And I look to my left, I'm looking at T.O. With his, with his pillow. I said, dude, like, I was just playing Madden with these guys, like, six months ago. Like, are you kidding me? But then, you know, I realized I'm sitting in this seat. You know, I'm sitting here right with him. I belong here. And then all the stars, the stars struck and the stardom, all that stuff went out the window, and I was just there to work. And so, yeah, that was it. Was it was a it was an unbelievable experience to go to the Super Bowl as a rookie was even more fulfilling because it's like you you're just getting in, but you reach the pinnacle of your professional sport. Um, amazing experience, and I just wanted to keep working to get to get back. And so, like, what was your favorite memory in the league? Was it that Super Bowl? Like, what stands out to you the most? Um, for me, to be quite honest, is the game that I started against the Redskins in 06. Um, the Redskins at the time were like the number five defense in, in the world, and they needed a win to get into the playoffs. And we had just come off um, our Super Bowl year. Donovan had torn his ACL, so our season was pretty much just done. And, you know, the night before the game, you know, you get your, your first 20 plays already scripted. And so I'm looking at the call sheet and I see the first place says regular Bruce. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm starting. Oop, I curse my bad. You're I'm right. like, I'm like, I'm starting. I called my agent, like, dude, I'm starting tomorrow. You know, I called all my family, made sure all my friends had tickets. Um, and I went out there. I think I had that game. I had about 15 or 16 carries for almost 80 yards. Like, uh, Clinton Portis outrushed me. And believe it or not, Clinton Portis and I are really good friends. Um, I'll give you the story. He used to be at Maryland all the time. Um, and, you know, I just went out there and was like, look, you know, this is my opportunity to show the world what I can do. And I'm going to go out there and do it. And and I did. You know, we of course, we didn't come out with W. But I think during that game, I kept going at Sean Taylor. And we all know nobody does that. Like, Sean got got out of two out of the three times that I went at Sean. He got me two out of the three times, and these were like, ooh type hits. But I kept getting up. And after the game, I remember I was coming out of my locker room, and Sean Taylor was he was waiting for me. He said, "Dude, shook my hand like I got much respect for you. Nobody does that." It was to the point like um, Rod Hood and and Karel Buckhart when I would come off to the side, I'm like, "Dude, run out of bounds." And I'm like, no, he bleeds like me. He's going to remember my name today. And he did. He came and sought me out after the game just to say, you know, I respect your game. I respect what you what you were doing out there. And, and that meant a lot to me. So, you know, I wish we could have won the game, but I was able to show what I could do. Was he the, like, toughest guy you went up against? Like, who was the hardest guy to uh, that defended you in the league? Brian Dawkins. Brian Dawkins. Brian Dawkins, hands down. I, and, and I always tell people, um, outside of my father, outside of my father, Brian Dawkins is the best man that I've ever met in my life. Like, 
a hands down, unbelievable motivator, willing to give it all on every play. And, you know, I was humbled to be in a locker room, share a locker room with that guy. But the dude wore that dark black visor. And so you're sitting there in, in the backfield and I'm looking at him like, is he blitzing? Is he not blitzing? I can't read his eyes. And I'm like, just please don't blitz. Don't do it. I don't want to do this. And so he would blitz and then he would pull back because his practice. He's not trying to get hurt or anything like that. But I already knew what would happen. Like Brian Dawkins, hands down, one of the greatest safeties to ever played this game, one of the greatest people that I've ever been accustomed to. Now you got I was also in a team with Jeremiah Trotter, Javon Curse. I mean, these are all pro badasses. You know what I'm saying? So I was fortunate enough to come on a team with a whole bunch of veterans that were able to coach me up and teach me on how to be a pro. But if I had to put one name on it, it'd probably be Brian Dawkins and outside of that, Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens is a specimen. Right. Hands down, for me, top three wide receiver. And that number two, you can interchange him, you know, with whoever you want to, between him and Randy. Um, but I watched him work. I watched how he worked. I watched how he approached the game. And I've never seen anyone do it the way he's done it, ever. Did you ever go up against, you know, Sean Merriman or any other Terps while you're in the league? Uh, not in the league. No, of course, I went up against Sean, you know, quite a lot in practice. I got him a few times. He'll probably say he don't remember, but I shook him to his feet, to his ankles a couple times. Um, I really wanted to go at Madhu. I know the time that we had an opportunity to play each other, I think he was he was hurt nursing an injury, so he didn't play. So Madhu and I had a lot of good battles in college. Um, you know, we'd go head to head all the time. So I, I wanted to get at Madhu, um, but that's that's about it. Because um, I think when I was in the league, the quell wasn't the quell wasn't there yet. Sean had just got there. Um, Vernon had gotten there a year later. So um, I didn't have a, a too many opportunities to get at my guys. But you know, whenever you know you saw guys before the games, um, it was always you know, love, and it's like you're catching up with the little bit of time that you have. Um, but just for all of us to make it to the pinnacle and to be Terps, you know, at one point in time, you had about, you know, 15 to 20 Terps in the league. Um, so it was a great time to be a Terp. So now getting into some more recent Maryland football talk, um, you and Mike Loxley obviously are very close and We've talked a lot about that so far, the story about your wife and wow. just him being the runnings back coach at the time you were at Maryland. How excited were you when he was named the head coach in December 2018, getting another chance to come back, especially with all that in the program at the time? I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. I knew that he was the only guy that was that was equipped to, to take that job, you know, and then quiet as it's kept he should have been chosen a year before um but man i was i was happy i was so happy for him i was so happy for him and kia um they deserved it he has been up and down um the coaching ladder um for many many years and had been successful um at florida and illinois and back at maryland um so you know it was it was about time it was about time that, you know, he got his opportunity now for it to be back here. I always have known, and he and I have had many conversations about this, like this was the job that he coveted. 
you know, outside of any other job, this was the job that he wanted. And he had, I want to say, at least two opportunities that didn't go his way. This was the job that, this was that dream job. I know James Franklin talked about Penn State being his dream job. Well, I know Maryland with lots being a Maryland guy, born and raised in a DMV, Baloo graduate, um, and Towson graduate. So pretty much stayed in this area for his uh, his collegiate career. And then, you know, moving from there, moving to Maryland as an assistant coach. Um, I knew this was his dream job. And for him to finally have that opportunity, uh, man, it was almost, it was like we, we did it. We finally, you know, finally, you know, he's being recognized for all of the things that he's been able to accomplish as an assistant coach, as a coordinator. And now he's given his head, he's given him, um, they've given him his head coaching uh, opportunity. So for it to be here at, 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 at my alma mater, um, it's, it, it's like, it's like the icing on the cake, man. Now all we have to do is just continue to pour into the program, especially as as alumni, uh, continue to be there um, and give him whatever he needs to be successful. Um, continue to be, you know, vigilant and and available um, and just watch him work. And I always tell people like, you know, people want to draw from his New Mexico experience, you know, and okay, I'll give you that. But how about, let's not forget about everywhere else. Let's not forget about all the other places that he's been successful. It's amazing to me how people just want to draw from the negatives. But this guy has coached some really good athletes. He has coached some really good players. He has been successful with some really good players. Not and that just, was early on, too. Like, New Mexico was before a lot of, he had a lot of other opportunities that made him better as a coach. You know, he'll say that himself. Exactly. And so people want to want to disregard all that previous success and just draw from one experience. I'm like, if you're going to draw from draw draw from the whole picture, paint paint a paint a paint a valid, vivid picture of what this guy's coaching resume looks like. And with that being said, yet you have to give him the opportunity to succeed. Have to give him the opportunity to succeed. He's he's been under some really good coaches, Ron Zook. Nick Saban probably is going to go down as the best coach ever in college football. He knows what it takes. You don't you don't sit there for three years and, and not able not be able to draw um, some things from you know your head coach. And he was under Ralph. Ralph is the Ralph is Maryland football. You know, so he was able to learn from the best coach in, in Maryland history. So I think we need to take we need to um, we need to take notice of that. And, and really pour into the program, pour into the program. Don't don't be so much of a critic. You know, I always say, you know, you're going to have to balance criticism with optimism. And when there's just so much criticism, oh man, I mean, he didn't tie his shoes today. It's like, come on, please. Like, I understand that everything is a process. You know, at the end of the day, he's got to get he's got to get more talent in here, which he has done. I think we had a really good recruiting class um, for it to be year two. And, and look, when and if we have college football, we should look for better results from our Maryland Terrapins. Right. You and I have had a lot of conversations about, you know, how he's the right one to turn this program around. Obviously, he gets 
into the program and there's a lot of turmoil and things like that and you know there's so much uncertainty going off this upcoming season but you know like you said it takes time to you know turn around the program like what do you think that you know Maryland fans are going to start seeing just over the next few years or so like you said he's starting to get a lot more talent in the program and really trying to create that culture I do use I think that that last word is right is is what we need to focus on culture Ralph was able to come in and change the culture and he was lucky to have a team that was already well established with players that we were already ready to buy into whatever you he wanted to, he was going to tell us you know we had just come off of two five and six seasons so we were starving for at least six wins we'll do whatever you say you know what i mean so i think Maryland fans need to understand that when you are changing the culture of a program, it's very special for it to happen in year one. That is like a rarity. Like all the stars have to align for that to happen. So I think our patience, we've become so impatient as fans because like we're used to drawing back from those glory days when we were able to wheel off 30 wins in three years. You know what I'm saying? And We've gone through a period in which, you know, we haven't been able to do as much. So yeah, we're gonna he's gonna have to get a you're gonna have to get a guy to come in to change the culture of what has been transpiring for the last ten to fifteen years. Okay. I think Maryland fans will, will be pleased to know that this guy comes from a winning pedigree. He knows what it takes to win. He comes from being recruiting coordinators at two prestigious schools. I always count my Maryland as a prestigious school. I don't care what nobody says. Um, Florida recruiting coordinator was able to go out there and get some really good athletes. So I think we need to give him time, give him time to right the ship. And I will guarantee you when it's all said and done, and we're talking about renewing the contract. Yeah, it'll be renewed because it, you will see that pendulum start to swing on on the upward on the, on the upward trending instead of instead of trending downward. You'll see that the, the, we'll end up with better players. Um, he's been more focused on keeping our players at home, our Maryland talent at home. That's been one of his you know driving um, one of his driving emphasis is um, keeping our talent in house. And for the most part, you know you're starting to see that that happen starting to see these kids say you know what let's stay home let's 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 bring our state into national dominance and prominence like like the floridas and the usc's and the texas's you know so i think you know maryland fans just be patient it's coming and i know it's coming because i know the man personally i know him as a coach i know what he can bring out of players and but culture changes all always takes a little bit of time. And just the two running backs coming in now are Penny Boone and Isaiah Jacobs as freshmen. You also have Jake Funk and Townfleet Davis on scholarship. So the position is a little thinner this year. But what have you heard for about these two freshmen, Boone and Jacobs, coming in and just their potential in general? Well, from what I understand, Boone is a bigger back. Um, he reminds he reminds him of a Lamont or a Rashard Mendenhall. Um, Fleet Davis has had some success in the past when he's been given the opportunity. Um, so, like I said before, like these guys are going to come in and compete. I think that's the big thing about it, especially out of that group, because Mike Loxley has some type of um, 
relationship to the running back to the running back position. Um, we can expect for for those guys to come in and have some success. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're all about te- it's a team. It's a team game. We got to build the team. You know, he's gonna got to build the team from the inside inside out. Got to get linemen. Got to get good linemen. You know what I'm saying? And got to get linemen that's going to be able to compete with the Michigans and Ohio States and, you know, the Penn States and whatnot. You know, I think um, that has been the focal point of, of, of the talent evaluation. Okay, what type of players do we target that's going to allow us to go out and compete against those programs? You know, and so, you know, with, with that being said, you know, the talent evaluation, we'll see, we'll see that over time, how that matriculates into, into, into more talent on the team. Um, but from, from that running back group, I know how the torch is passed in that room. And so those guys already know what it takes because they learned it from Lolo. They learned it from McFarland. They learned it from Lee. They know what it takes to be successful. And at the end of the day, they won't be, um, they will not be, uh, for, for lack of a better word, um, stagnant. They will not be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they, they won't rest on their laurels. They want to be better than the people that came before them. You understand what I'm saying? And understanding that you have now the opportunity to be the guy, you're going to work your ass off a little bit hard a little bit harder to earn the trust of the coaches and of your teammates. So we should expect some big things out of that group. And if you're not just looking at the running back room, but, you know, looking at anyone on the Terps roster right now, who excites you or intrigues you the most? To be quite honest, um, I I, I can't single out one person. I'm I'm curious to know how this team comes together, how they gel together as a team. It's, It's a young unit. You know, so I'm curious to know what veteran is going to step up to be the leader on this team. What veterans are going to step up and say, you know what, we're going to take the 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 the, the bull by the horns and lead this team the way it should be led. That's what I'm more concerned about than than just individual accolades. It, what do you think, though, of uh, you know this possible connection with uh, you know from Talia Tungavailoa to uh, Rakim Jarrett? Does that excite you at all? That does excite me a little bit, you know. Raheem Jarrett, you know, he's a he's a dynamic player. He reminds me of a Stephon Diggs, of a um, Darius Hayward Bay. Um, he reminds me of the that caliber of athlete, and you know, I just I'm praying that the work ethic um, also equals up. If the talent level is anywhere near his brother, anywhere near Tua, we should expect some competition out of, out of that position. You know, so once again, I'm curious to know who's going to step up, which guy's going to step up and say, you know what, I want to be the leader of this team. You know, with Alabama, you knew it was Tua. You knew it was him. You knew he was the leader of that team. So I'm very curious, you know, who's going to step up and be the leader of our Maryland Terrapins. And before we let you go, just one last question, just kind of about the world in general and football in, in the future, just there's been so much talks about college football happening or not happening, how they'll do it, NFL as well, with this pandemic going on. Just what are your overall thoughts on how things will play out? Honestly, you know, we all want our entertainment back. You know what I'm saying? We all want to be entertained, and you don't really realize how much sport is a, a 
a integral cog in our daily lives until it's been stripped from you. You know what I'm saying? So we all, we all want it back. Like, I don't care how it gets done. Like, I need to see somebody scoring a touchdown. I need to see some inside scoop when it's coming to these teams. But we also have to understand that in the times that we're living in are unprecedented. And making sure that we are all safe is, is paramount at this particular point in time. So it's kind of like, you know, our sports and what we want have to take a back seat to what we need. I'm very interested to see how, how we're going to reintegrate you know our entertainment um back into back into the world you know like i said i didn't realize how important it was until it was gone and i'm sitting there looking at espn with like what am i looking at i have nothing to look at you know so it's like um i'm very curious to see how the trends in covid whether they continue to rise or, or at some point we begin to plateau i know from what i just heard today we reached about four million today um, which is scary. Like we are in some scary, unprecedented times, you know. And if it's not, if it's not a time for you to hold on to your faith, um, now, now is the time. Um, and understand what's important: keeping your friends and your family safe, keeping yourself safe, continue to practice good habits, and, and hopefully, with with us practicing good habits and people actually using some common sense, that you know, we don't have to party in Miami right now. You know, we don't have to go to that pool party or that beach party. Like right now, it's more important that we all stay safe so that we're able to enjoy that pool party, that beach party later on down the line. You know, I think we need to take that more into consideration um, in regards to how things are transpiring now. Um, But yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see. I know they were talking about doing, you know, fanless games in the NFL. I don't know how serious they are about that. Um, that would be pretty much a daggone scrimmage. Um, you know, it's no really no um, no uh, uh, no heat and, and no you know the excitement is a little different. You know, I know you know from the TV contracts they got to do something. Um, so you know, I'm very interested to see you know what they plan on in- implementing in the future to, to to see if we can make you know our entertainment and our sports happen. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Always good chatting with you. Oh, always a pleasure. You know, you call me anytime.